0: start this episode with some questions. How long does it usually take you to forgive somebody? How many chances do you give a person before you turn your back on them? And do you think that a person can always redeem themselves if there's enough time? These are all questions that relate to the difficulty of being human, nature or nurture being the theme. And that's the big question I want you to take away by the end of this podcast, because the story I'm going to tell you is going to revolve around this. Nobody gets to control the circumstances they're born into, or the hand that's dealt to them once they've been spat out into the world. If you're sent down the wrong path, even with skill or a talent in your back pocket, things can still turn sour. That's what happened to Ruben Semedo, the Portugal international who, instead of making the most of his natural ability and world-class coaching, took a wrong turn and ended up on the wrong side of the law last year. The time is approaching midnight, and a full moon can be seen from the window. It's the perfect night for tales of true crime and bad decisions. For one last time this season, I'm your host Stevie Green, and this is The Dead Ball Situation. Amadora is a fairly forgettable city northwest of Lisbon. There are worse places to be born. But with little to do and no economic prospects, the crime rate is high. Way higher than it should be for somewhere so close to Portugal's coast. It's the country's most densely populated municipality, where drugs and attacks at night can be common. Though it's not downtown Baghdad or south central Los Angeles, if you fall into the wrong crowd in a town like that, it can set you on a bad path that's tough to escape from. In 1994, Ruben Alfonso borges Somedo was born in Amadora to immigrant parents from the Cape Verde. But life was going to be difficult in those early years. At the age of five, Ruben's father was jailed, given a 10-year sentence, leaving his family behind. His mother was forced to pick up the slack. She got up for work every day at 4am and wouldn't return till late at night meaning Reuben and his sister would be left to their own devices on the streets after school, when they even bothered to go into school. Without a role model, Reuben struggled to handle his responsibilities around the house. His mother did her best and tried to raise him as best she could despite working around the clock. His teachers, when they did see him, described him as being good at heart but having little interest and no discipline. However, there was one place where he did excel, on the football pitch. He spent his formative years kicking a ball around with other street kids in his neighbourhood. He was good at it too. This is common though. So many players from all over the world come from similar beginnings and backgrounds. And luckily, along the way, Ruben did find some structure to his life. At the age of 16, he got picked up by Sporting's youth team in Lisbon. There, he developed his defensive skills and became equally capable at the centre of defence just as he was in front of it. He was strong in the tackle, he liked to dribble out from the back, he was comfortable with the ball at his feet, an ability he'd learnt on the dusty pitches further north in Amadora. But discipline was still a problem. He picked up yellow cards like he was saving them up, and no matter what his coaches said, it was a habit he couldn't shake off. He received a slap on the wrist for being caught driving without a licence. And shortly after that, he angered a section of the club's fans after throwing his jersey on the ground after being sent off during a youth game. Minor incidents, but still. At the beginning of the 2013-14 season, he made his first team debut in a pre-season encounter with the Italian side Fiorentina. To say he made an impression is an understatement. He scored. In that season, he made just one appearance in the senior side, featuring in a cup game but he became regular at the club's B team in the Segunda Liga. He featured 23 times for the second string, scoring once. It was clear this boy had something about him. The coaches thought so too, but he needed to be bedded in somewhere. So Sporting sent him on loan to Spanish second division side Reus, based in Barcelona. He made 16 appearances there, but he failed to stand out. The next season, he went on loan again this time staying in Portugal with Vitoria Sechubal. He went straight into the first team, but those discipline problems followed him. In the first half of the season, Semedo was sent off twice. He was lucky he was talented, otherwise he'd be in serious trouble. In January of that season, he was recalled to Sporting, who were in the midst of their own defensive crisis. In February, he made his debut in Europe, taking on Bayer Leverkusen in the round of 32 in the Europa League. But true to form, he was booked twice and sent off for the third time that campaign. But there was enough there to work with. And over the summer, Semedo penned a new contract with a 45 million euro release clause installed. He had another season in Lisbon, and showed signs that he was able to mature into a decent player. But there was still a big concern hanging over him. Despite coming through the youth ranks alongside the likes of Eric Dyer and Tiago Elori, and being described as having the greatest potential of the three, He could undo all the hard work he did on the training ground by transforming into a different person when he was with his friends. He'd bought an apartment near Sporting's training facility so he could live in peace with his girlfriend and daughter, but when their relationship broke up, he hung around with a childhood friend and his cousin, and that meant trouble was never far off. Sporting decided to cash in, and in the summer of 2017, he signed for Spanish side Villarreal in a deal worth 14.5 million euros. However, his cousin and his friend would move with him as part of the deal. He started the season as one of the first-choice centre-backs, but he couldn't get on with coach Javier Cahela and couldn't fit in with his new teammates, and soon found himself demoted to the bench, picking up sporadic minutes as the week went by. He grew frustrated, and he struggled to adapt himself. In the autumn, he picked up an injury that would require surgery. And it was during this period that trouble would really start to derail his promising career. In October, he was accused of breaking a bottle over a man's head in a nightclub argument, but luckily for him, no charges were pressed. Then he was arrested in January 2018. He was arrested and told that he would stand trial for an altercation he'd had in a bar in Valencia, in which it was said that he'd produced a gun and made threats to a bouncer. The staff at the bar had grown tired of Samedo's behaviour that night and urged the security staff to call the police. Samedo saw the bouncer reach for his phone and he pulled out his gun faster and pistol-whipped the phone out of his hand and warned him, if you call the police, I'll come back for you. This is said to have happened at 8.30 in the morning. What kind of a club is still open at that time? Prosecutors wanted to push for a two-year jail sentence, citing his actions as aggravated behaviour. However, police were unable to recover that gun that he was said to have been used. But if that was bad, things were about to get a whole lot darker for Samedo and his compadres. A month later, in the lush, affluent area of Torre El Congil, where players from Villarreal and Valencia all live, police raided Samedo's apartment and carted him off in part of a huge sting. The rumour was that Samedo was wanted for kidnapping. The story goes that Samedo and his troublesome friend and cousin grabbed a man and took him back to Samedo's apartment. They dragged him down into the basement and beat him with a baseball bat before threatening to cut his fingers off unless they gave him access to his apartment and given him his PIN number. The victim says that after the beating, they tied him up and left him locked in Samedo's basement while they went over to his place near the City of Arts and Sciences in Valencia and cleaned it out. They took whatever they could get their hands on which included, but was not limited to, 24,000 euros in cash, several watches, and a computer. When they returned, they attempted to move the man, who still hasn't been named, to a new location, but he managed to escape, and on a broken ankle, he made a run for it. He alleges that Semedo shot at him while running down Blasco Ibanez, a long, tree-lined avenue that cuts across the entire city of Valencia, but luckily he missed. The next day, battered, bruised and hobbling on a crutch, the victim made his way to a local police station and reported what had happened. Samedo's two accomplices fled before the police could get to them, but Samedo was captured and charged with robbery, kidnapping and attempted murder. This was serious. He was jailed almost immediately, and after meeting with his legal team they decided to appeal, but it was quickly shot down and he would be forced to remain there for a few months until they could come up with another appeal that would have a better chance of being approved. His lawyers and his agent began to formulate a narrative. This was a case of fraud, a rich man trying to extort more money from a vulnerable young footballer from a disadvantaged background. Speaking to Spanish daily newspaper Marca, his agent Catio Balde said, Explaining right now is hard, Ruben was victim of a fraud, of a huge trick, probably financial. In this situation, he didn't react very correctly, but he was the victim. What I have seen on Spanish television is a disgraceful situation, really bad. Ruben was not involved in that. The supposed kidnapping never happened. It's a total lie that there was a kidnapping and torture. The gun didn't belong to Semedo. Although they found it in his house... Tomorrow we will know more details in court, and it will all be clear. This was going to be a key factor in their defence. This gun that Semedo had purportedly used twice already wasn't his, and his involvement was down to two smart and more devious minds, coercing him into going along for the ride. Amazingly, it worked, and in early July he was granted bail after a fee of 30,000 euros was paid. Villarreal had suspended him throughout this investigation, and they were now looking to wash their hands of him. It would be unlikely that he'd wear the yellow submarine shirt again, but there were no buyers. Villarreal didn't have a ton of money to splash around, and they'd wanted to recoup as much money as they could, but no one was going to spend cash on a player who was embroiled in such a serious case. However, there was one loan offer on the table, from newly promoted Huesca. Their squad was made up predominantly of loan players, and survival was on the agenda. They picked up Semedo on a season-long loan, and he went straight into the squad. I was very keen to play again, and Huesco have given me an opportunity to do so in the first division. I didn't hesitate to accept their offer, Semedo said. The club came under scrutiny for the move, but sporting director Emilio Vega promised that Semedo would be in good condition to play, as he played several games while in prison and insisting that the club wouldn't be focusing on his off-field activities. As it turns out, he wasn't all that sharp. He needed some time to get himself back to the elite levels of fitness required to compete in La Liga, and when he did, he couldn't consistently display the kind of form that had marked him out earlier in his career. He made 11 appearances, but just days into the new year, this year, he was told that he could leave, that Huesca didn't want him anymore because he'd disrespected their values. It seems that Samedo had enjoyed himself a little too much while on loan and hit up too many nightclubs, and just a few days ago was fined for going out the night before a game. We're professionals and we have to make decisions, said coach Francisco Rodriguez at a press conference for his side's league match against Real Batiste earlier this month. Samedo doesn't fit into our plans, and the club have had to make a decision. We're putting values in place and respecting them but Ruben doesn't understand that at this time. That was just last week. At the moment, he's still there, and he's not been sent back to Villarreal in a public rage or tried to be bundled out through the back door. But that said, he wasn't in the matchday squad for either game against Real Betis or Leganes this this weekend just gone. At 24, he still has time to save himself, depending on what happens in the courts. A prison sentence could be a long and difficult road to come back from, and his career at the top level would almost certainly be over. You could argue that he's already had his second chance, and that another one might not be so forthcoming. It's certainly crazy to consider that Villarreal had paid so much money for him, given that their means are usually stretched, meaning that they rely heavily on their youth system producing the goods to keep them competitive. It's also crazy to consider that that same year, Barcelona paid just under 12 million euros for Colombia's World Cup star Yeri Mina, who's the same age as Semedo. But that means that Villarreal can't just wash their hands of him. They need some kind of return on their investment, but he's not making himself to be an attractive package to potential suitors. Villarreal already knew of his behavioural problems before they opened the checkbook. But because of the way they usually do business, the trust is always placed in their sporting directors to make the right call. But it looks like they got this one wrong. But there are more people within the game who defend him. Journalists, mostly. Oddly. The editor of a football website, Mace Football, Sergio Pereira, describes him as being a good kid at heart, but one who's led easily astray. Ruben Semedo has not had a simple life, Pereira said. He came from a difficult neighbourhood. His father was in prison. He had a lot of bad influences in the neighbourhood. When I spoke to people who know him, They all said to me that he's a good boy, but when he's with his friends from the neighbourhood, he transforms into another person. Others have compared him to Rio Ferdinand and Pepe, his compatriot. There's no denying at one point he looked to be a bright prospect for both club and country. Clearly, there's a talent there that's hard to deny. And given the circumstances he came from, some better guidance would have seen him make a greater impact on the game. The jury is still out, literally and figuratively. And despite his transgressions, it would be a shame to see a young, talented player throw away his career because of some bad apples he'd picked along the way. Crazy story. It's a difficult decision to feel bad for him or not. He obviously had a difficult time of it growing up, and he's had a lot of behavioural issues that have gone unresolved. But at 24, there's still time to prove his worth. At the moment, both Huesca and Villarreal are propping up the La Liga table, with the clubs needing some inspiration heading into the second half of the season. This, typically, is when heroes are born. But given everything that's around his personal life right now, it's unlikely that he'll be that hero. But it does go back to the question I asked at the top of the show. Does he deserve another shot? Can he keep himself out of trouble? Or is this just who he is? Nature or nurture? For me, he'd need to leave those troublesome friends behind if he was ever going to think about getting back on track. Reports this month claim that the championship club, Reading, are looking to make a move for him. But because of the ongoing case against him, he can't leave Spain. He appears to have blown his second chance at Huesca, which is not good. But having supported a club who've been rooted to the bottom of the table, it's never an easy situation to come into and perform, but that's no excuse. Redemption is key to the human condition, and I would love to see him make amends, but doing it is always going to be easier said than done. Well, thank you for joining me for the final show of Season 1. Whether you've just turned in or have been listening to me from the start, I'm glad to have you on board. I'll be taking a break for a few weeks to research and write new episodes for season two. And I'll hopefully be back in your ears and on your playlists in the spring. In the meantime, spread the word about season one. Send it to a friend in need of a new podcast to binge. Tell them to write a review as well. And you. I know I say it every week, but ratings and reviews really does help the show reach more people. But for the time being, I'll be saying so long. I'm Stevie Green and this has been The Dead Ball Situation. <laughs>